everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to Season 6, Episode 2. We're already in Season 6 of 15-Minute Film Fanatics. The premise of the show, in case you don't know by now, is that Mike and I watch movies separately, and then we talk about them unrehearsed in the podcast for the first time. Here's a 10-second plug. We'll just get it out of the way. If you like what you're listening to, you know, I'm the kind of person that that might not leave a review uh, and subscribe unless I'm directly asked to. So just take this as us directly asking you. Let us know what you think of the show, good or bad. We'll take all feedback. We'll take all suggestions for movies. Thank you so much for listening. And here we go. So today's episode is Key Largo, the John Huston masterpiece. I think it's a, or at least a minor masterpiece from 1948, uh, based on the play by Maxwell Anderson with the screenplay by Richard Brooks and Houston. Um, recently released on the Criterion Collection on their channel. They released a whole bunch of John Huston films, which is really, really great. And it's funny coming off of Body Heat. It is because it's kind of our subgenre of sweaty Floridians. There's a, there's a lot of sweat in this movie. There's a lot of sweaty Floridians here. So Mike, on um, our first segment, we always talk about our overall takes upon the film we've each seen king largo a number of times but we rewatched it for the podcast watching it this time this week for the show what was your big takeaway this movie is really sad and i just mean i it's sadder than than most films that have a happy ending or where the hero survives because there's there's something lingering about the the group of folks that are all connected and collected in one room it doesn't surprise me that this started off as a play there's something obviously very claustrophobic about the movie until the tree falls through the window uh, that makes it easily staged you can you could easily imagine that key largo is like it if i had to describe it to somebody who hadn't seen it i would say uh it's an agatha christie novel that's made at by an american in which case there there is no mystery and you know exactly who did it they're just waiting Um, for ziggy you're just just waiting for their uh, for their connections, uh, but there is something lingering in the in the pathos of all these super pathetic characters, including Rocco himself, who eventually becomes a figure of a, a really kind of weird pathos. But this this is the saddest movie I can think that has a quote unquote happy ending, and I I still have to kind of talk myself into that ending because I I'll be honest, like I love this movie, but I'm not super sold on that. I have to be sold on that ending every single time. Well, we'll uh, that, do that, that in part Frank three. It back. Okay. We'll do that in part three. I totally agree with you is that it's not, um, it's not like a fun Saturday afternoon kind of film, but I, I love the fact that we're doing this after body heat completely by coincidence, by the way, but that the, everyone is as drenched in sweat as this movie is drenched in atmosphere. You said claustrophobic and it's absolutely claustrophobic. And, and the atmosphere I think is what makes the film so sad, as you said, but also so so captivating it's so strange you forget how strange it is when when frank mcleod humphrey bogart gets to the hotel how strange it is like it's the hotel's closed but it's open you can't sit at the bar yet people are drinking um we're not open for the season yet who are these weird people who it's like he's in a twilight zone episode and where everybody knows the secret except him now of course that that does turn out to be the case but i think it's so claustrophobic and it's so intense bogart has about six lines in the whole movie and Edward G. Robinson, it never shuts up. It's it's perfect. So I love that. I love the back and forth between the two of them. And I also think that time flies when you watch this. This is the kind of movie I think you turn on and then you look at your watch and it's over. And that's and I think I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. And what's in the background of this movie is uh, it's kind of the soldier's home for World War Two. I'll 100%. get into it a little bit in in my moment uh, about why that's so poignant. But but the poignancy is you know check it, he checks into the hotel as part of a homecoming right. and this is what's at home that's and what's at home. Uh, th- i that that really sets the tone for the for the rest of the movie and sets that kind of mo- i mean this 
the man with the golden arm doesn't make you itch to call your local drug dealer, but this movie definitely makes me want to drink. Well, it also dramatizes as soon as he gets home, uh, you know, that, that line from Hamlet where Polonius tells Laertes, you know, beware of entrance to a quarrel, but being in, keep in mind the opposed may beware of thee. And that's what, that's what Frank finds himself drawn into once he, once he does the, the visit for the good soldier as a good soldier. That's true. Although, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll touch on this at the end, but it's, n- it's not necessarily just Frank. There are some forces of nature at work. So welcome back. In part two, we like to talk about our favorite moment or a moment we think represents the film as a whole. Mike, what's yours? So my moment is kind of an explanatory moment of how to start reading or understanding what's going on in the in the film other than just the, the basic plot, which is when Rocco's being shaved and he's showing off for the sheriff uh, and for Humphrey Bogart as Frank. And he's talking about, you know, how how no big city police force could take him down. You know, even the federal government only has something on him just for a brief time. And why? Because he helped make all those people. And it's about the network of greed that the, that the mob's been able to sink itself into. And uh, as we touched on in part one, some of the backdrop here is that Frank's just come home from, you know, fighting for America and for American values. And so the, the film means that to be a counterbalance, you know, to what a, a young soldier thinks they're fighting for. And you get home and the, the enemy is unvanquished because the, the enemy is greed or rapaciousness or just a, a lack of feeling or care uh, for other human beings that, you know, that that uh, Rocco says it, it's not just this hotel. It's that those tendrils extend all, all across the nation and basically the the I'll be back, which is which is very which to me is very poignant uh, in in connection to to seeing the disappointment of why he's here or or what the vast threat is. Rocco makes himself out to be a force of nature. Of course, later he meets a force of nature, um, and that's you know starts to starts to kind of point into what the film's about. Yeah, Frank was overseas, um, supposedly ridding the world of the the number one Johnny Rocco, and now he comes down here as to a small scale one. I love how you said you know it's like you know the Gordon Gecko greed is good speech. Um, you know, do you remember what he says he wants? At one point, Frank says he knows what he wants. Remember what Johnny Rocco says he wants? More. More, right? And but it, remi- it's not him. It's not him that says it. It has to be Frank. He says it, he wants more. He wants he more, says, yeah, don't that's you? It. Yeah, it's that's more. It. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And it reminded me so much of what um, when Jack Nicholson asks John Houston, ironically, in Chinatown, you have all this money. You have more than you could ever spend. What do you want? Do you remember what, John, what Noah Cross says in Chinatown? The future. The future, Mr. Gets. So it's it's I love that. I love that Johnny Rocco was like Noah Cross. He's just an appetite. He's a personified appetite walking around that can't it, that cannot be filled. It's like a Hieronymus box demon who's who's eating its own legs and stuff because it can't satisfy its own appetite. Um, so my moment was when uh, connected to Johnny Rocco is when Gay Dawn uh, has to sing for the drink, which is such you talk about a sad, sad scene. That's, That's the a, saddest scene in the film. And of course, Houston lets her sing every note. You you know how it's going to end. You know she's and so here's a couple of great things about that. You see it coming. You know that she's not going to get the drink. So it defines Rocco so well. But let's keep let's go back to what you said about Rocco and about how Rocco is a, a, an appetite. You know, the film asks us how do you respond to Johnny Rocco? Like how is a person supposed to respond to evil in the world because it's there, right? What are you supposed to do? And I think the movie shows you a pageant. Of, of possible responses, right? So um, you could be like um, Mr. Temple, 
right? He could be all angry and, and, you know, please God, please send the big wave, crash it down on us, kill us all if need be. But he's totally impotent. Remember he tries to get up, but he falls over. So you could be like him. You could be like Nora, who's kind of passive in, in, in the background. You could be like Toots, you know, a, a hanger on or like, like Gay Dawn. And I think that she's kind of trying to find this middle way, like, please take me with you. Please take me with you. It's like, no, you're not coming. Um, and of course, Frank's way is the way that the movie endorses. And we'll talk about that more when we get to the ending. Okay, so welcome back in part three, like to talk about the ending, the title, the big takeaways. I think that we've been kind of on the verge of discussing the ending because that's that's where I think the film finds its meaning. It, it defines itself rather quickly in how it's going to play out, but you're not sure until that last telephone call, you know, how things are going to play out. So Dan, what's your response to the ending or the key takeaways? Well, what brings, you know, what brings the light coming in through the window once Lauren Bacall opens those shutters? I mean, that is, you know, that is the first, the first real shaft of light we see in this whole film. And I want to go back to what you said before about Hemingway and Soldier's Home. You know, remember that, you know, Frank's been to the war, right? These other guys have not. He's come back from, from ridding the world of the ultimate Johnny Rocco, and he's not looking for trouble. He says, I have no fixed address when the sheriff comes, right? He, 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 it's very much like, he's very much like Rick in Casablanca, right? Or Shane and Shane. Like he doesn't want to get drawn into this thing, but he doesn't get to choose it, but then the world chooses it for him. And so he says, I had hopes once, but I gave them up, right? And, and then Johnny Rockos, well, hope for what? A world in which there's no, no more Johnny Rockos. Well, that's what he went to fight for, but now he's back and he's stuck in the spot. He doesn't want to do it. And the movie is about Frank kind of realizing that he's got to go back, like no one else is going to do it. How great is the moment where he, um, where Mr. Temple says, well, you knew the gun wasn't loaded, right? Because you could feel it. And he says, remember what he says? No. No. <laughs> he says, no, I really, I really thought it, I just couldn't do it. Right. So I think that even Frank, a guy who's like, who, by the way, is Humphrey Bogart, you know, you know, the, the toughest guy on screen comes back and even he's got to get worked up to do it. So all of the action hero stuff on the boat at the end, that's, that's just, to me, that's kind of like, um, that's like filling in the, the, the blanks of the Mad Lib. That's kind of like just, just showing your work in, in the math equation. The movie is about him getting to that moment where he'll actually go on the boat and take him out. Yeah, my response in part two was to say that the only thing that you can do in the face of that evil is endure until you get your until you get your moment or until you get your chance, right? Because there's the, the chance where Rocco asks him if he wants to go, and he says, "My life isn't worth one more one more Rocco yeah. more or less." You can either read the film one of two ways: either it's a disappointment to return to an America that's full of Roccos and these these prohibition gangsters that have you know a grown grown big and fat and evil over a decade or two. Or, or that was a naive wish in the first place. It, it was naive to think that just taking out one Rocco eliminates all Roccos. And so I, I think that's how you, the film wants you to read his, his initial disappointment uh, as naive. And then you, you, out of naivete, you have to grow accustomed to something else. You have to get a second wind. And, but the second wind happens to be a gale force hurricane. But then that also speaks exactly to what you said before about it being a movie where the bad guy gets killed by the good guy. He's going to come back to the place where, where, the, where the girl is. But yet it doesn't feel like the, it doesn't feel like any of that kind of movie because the, the movie really it, it's very, very um, it, it's very not, it maybe ambiguous is the wrong word, but you get it both ways. Like, what's the proper response? Right. So at the time of this recording, you know, a lot of stuff in the news about Afghanistan. Right. So what's the proper what is the proper thing to do for Afghanistan? Now, people have all kinds of opinions about that. Right. But is it like one Johnny Rocco, more or less? Is it worth my life? But then who is it? Do you, do you just pray for God for a big wave to come down? Like, what's the proper response to these things? Um, 
or do you be like Frank on the boat at the end? You know, he says, nobody, he says, nobody in the world is safe as long as Johnny Rocco is alive, but who bears the responsibility for getting rid of Johnny Rocco? And I think the movie shows you, okay, Humphrey Bogart, but what if you're not Humphrey Bogart? Well, it's it, but it's to endure to that moment, like you said, right? Yeah. So the, the, missing response out of your parade of response well i guess it's not missing the sheriff's deputy right it mouths off and then it you know finally is shot yeah. down he's not on the boat because he he makes the wrong pick he chooses the wrong moment right and so it's it's to choose the the right thing at the right moment which is of course it's it's difficult the the, the film yeah. basically says you have a one out of eight or one out of nine chance of you know picking right and and probably that's very generous because what the what the deputy dies for then he would say, "Is it was that Johnny Rocco worth dying for?" He'd say, "No." So I asked myself, "What what would I have been satisfied with?" You know, because I imagined an alternate ending to the movie where you know uh, Rocco gets taken out, but Frank drowns. Am I sad? I'm not satisfied with that either. It just feels there's there's something of a, a very realistic type of letdown in this movie. Although all the performances are great, the script is great. It is very claustrophobic, but this movie does not make anybody comfortable if the purpose yeah. of art is to comfort the disturbed and disturb the comfortable then key largo is much more art than it is entertainment yeah and it, and it but it, again it has it both ways and, that, and that's like a john houston trademark right yes. is that he was able to do those kinds of things is, is to provide great art and great entertainment at the same time from his first film which was of course the Maltese falcon and he did it for his whole career i mean but i think he's also known for um for endings that don't necessarily satisfy the the audience. I mean, think of the end of Ma the Maltese Falcon. Wait, the ending of the Maltese Falcon doesn't satisfy the audience? No, you don't want him to be with Bridget Monaghan. You don't want it. You Bridget, don't want him. Bridget to, O'Shaughnessy. Bridget British, O'Shaughnessy. Sorry, Bridget Bridget O'Shaughnessy. You don't want him to finally be happy. No, I want him to send her. He sends her away. She killed Miles. Yeah, but it's 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 unfortunate that she's evil. But of course, it's she unfortunate is. Be because the, the 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 point of the Maltese Falcon is that if you look in the place of your desire, ultimately you will find the the locale of evil. It's not necessarily a coincidence that those two things line up the way that they line up. If you look in the place of your desire, you find out your desire is a fake. That's what, that's what the Maltese Falcon is, and that's what she is. And so he says he'll have a couple sleepless nights. But I think I think at the end of that movie and at the end of the novel too, he's admirable. He says like, if I let you go. It would be, and he was remember he was sleeping with Miles's wife, but he says if I let you go, it's bad for detectives everywhere. You got to believe in something. Yeah, but I I understand, but admirable doesn't necessarily keep you warm. You know, neither does that. Neither does the end of you know Chinatown. You at the end, the only well, response to the end of Chinatown is forget it, Jake. I think I think that I think that I think the um I think Sam Spade actually believing in something and actually acting on it instead of just giving it lip service is more admirable and more heartening for this viewer than him being warm on Friday night. I agree with you, but I, I don't think that the audience's desire for satisfaction or the you you mentioned Shane. Shane ends in, in a similar way, right? With right. Shane slumped over on the horse. Right. Did did what's did what happened satisfy me from a narrative perspective? It did, but it's not, not something I would necessarily wish for myself. All right. We'll tackle that when we do Shane later this season. All right. So thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks for putting up with that little digression there. Totally unplanned about John Houston. Um, maybe we'll do some more of his films this season. Thanks for listening. Like Mike said in the beginning, please leave us a review. Please rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.